We're going to finish uh, week three, the final week of our teaching series called The Hope of Glory. And actually, one thing that's a little bit common in church world is to do a lead up of a series and, and finish it, the crescendo, on Easter weekend. And then Easter weekend's done, pack away the eggs in the bunny costume, and then next week launch a brand new series. This year we decided to not do that, but rather to kind of sandwich the Easter weekend in this big idea of the hope of glory. And it's very intentional why we did that, because Easter happens all year round. Not the eggs, not the bunny costumes, but, but the message of Easter we, we highlight it in a, in a pretty you know, significant way once a year, but the message is 24-7, 365. Jesus died for you and me. He died in our place so our sins could be forgiven, so that you and I could have a relationship with God. He, he rose again, conquered death, so that you and I would never die, but have eternal life. That's a, an all-year-round message. I love that. So we're going to drill down into week three of the hope of glory. Before I do that, I just want to say to you guys, well done. Last weekend was Easter, I'm sure you, you noticed. Um, we as Elevate Church had our biggest ever weekend, Easter weekend attendance. And that's not a fluke. That's not a mystery. Hmm, I wonder how that happened. Let me tell you how that happened. Because you guys are getting it. You're understanding what it means to invest and invite. You understand what it means that, that your family and your neighbors and your colleagues and your Facebook friends are people who need Jesus. And I'm seeing you taking that more and more seriously week on week and investing and inviting. So well done. We had 27 first-time guests here over our Easter weekend. That's up from three Last year. Okay, if you're in business, do the math. Percentage growth, very impressive. So those are 27 people who got to hear the real message of Easter, right? Brilliant, well done. And, I, and by the way, I know some of you invited people and those people didn't come. Well done to you as well. You didn't say people's no for them. You gave them the invitation they didn't choose. Maybe they will in the future. Maybe they won't. But well done for investing and inviting. Keep doing it. We also on the Sunday gave a salvation invite. Give people an opportunity to respond, to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, my Savior. And we had two and possibly three. I say possibly. It's a combination of my 10-20 vision. And when I say people put your hand up to say you want to follow Jesus, they can do this. And I, you know... I sometimes miss them. But anyway, Louie, who was sitting on the front row, but her head was sort of spinning in a kind of periscopic fashion, said there was a third girl over to my right, which is just fantastic. Three people whose eternities have been changed forever. And there's no finish line for us. We keep going. See what more God wants to do in us and through us. So as I said, today we're going to finish this teaching series, The Hope of Glory, or as Louisa called it last week, even though it was on the screen, The Hope of God. So she's fired. That's why she's not here this morning. <laughs> Off the team. I've titled this morning's message, The Problem with Pinterest. Now, those of you who are note takers and like titles of messages, today's a good day for you because I never normally give you the title of the message. And I know for some of you, that absolutely rips your undies. I get that. 
I love that. Today I've given you a title. By the way, little secret uh, tip. Our podcasts, which come out on a Monday, always have the title. I know it's 24 hours late, later, and, 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 and you have to do that for 36 hours. 36 hours. But just, just saying, you can always retrofit the title to your Evernote or wherever. Today's message has a title right up front. The problem with Pinterest. Now, I know some of you probably are familiar with Pinterest. If you're not, let me define or describe Pinterest to you, taken straight away from Wikipedia. This is Wikipedia's definition of Pinterest. Users can upload, save, sort, and manage images, known as pins, and other media content through collections, known as pin boards. Users can browse the content of others on the main page. Users can then save individual pins to one of their own boards using the pin it button. With pin boards typically organized by a central topic or theme. Now, here's a screenshot. Typical Pinterest pin board. How, 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 those of you who are Pinteresters, does that sound about right? Good, good description. Some of you don't even want to admit that you know what I'm talking about. Um, Statistically, 81% of the users of Pinterest are women. So just, just, just out of curiosity, how many of you are Pinteresters? How many? How many? Yeah, see, some of you boys put your hand up. I love that. Come on. Hugs, not drugs. Let's get it on. It's for work. Yeah. Rubbish. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, that's a new one. Here we go. Let me give you an alternate and I think possibly more accurate definition of Pinterest. Pinterest is a visually driven social media platform strategically designed for nonstop, 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week reminders that your kids are not as well-dressed as your neighbor's kids, your home is decorated like crap, the pictures you take on your phone are comparatively artless, you did a terrible job planning your own wedding, and that you live a generally tedious, monotonous, painfully dull existence that is slowly draining the life out of you, unlike everyone else in your life whose lives are categorically awesome at all times. How does that sound like a far more accurate definition of Pinterest? Now, I jest. We, don't, we, we like social media. We do social media. I do social media. I'm not against social media. But here's... The thing, social media is great, except when it's not. We live in a culture of constant comparison, unprecedented in the history of the world. There has never been the access to other people's stuff like there is today. If you wanted to see what someone else was doing 40 years ago, you had to go and visit them. Now it's nearly impossible to shut it off. Literally, a study came out this week linking clinical depression in some people to a condition now referred to in the scientific community as Facebook envy. That's why I like Pinterest fail. Does anybody use Pinterest fail? You will after today. 
Let me show you some of the pins on Pinterest fail. It's the first one here, Pinterest fail. Someone's uh, attempt at a fruit turkey. There's the one that was pinned on Pinterest. And here's the one, nailed it on Pinterest fail. Your kid wants a minion cake for their birthday. You go on Pinterest, you see the minion cake up the top. You go to Pinterest fail, you see, nailed it. Halloween's coming up. You think, cute pic of my kid in a pumpkin a la Pinterest, but you probably are better off shooting for Pinterest fail. I love Pinterest fail. Whether we like to admit it or not, your life and my life, the reality of it is far more Pinterest fail. Right? And it's about time we just owned it. So here's what I'm going to do. Let let me uh, recommend you open up your Bible app to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is, it's called 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's called 2 Corinthians because a dude named Paul, one of the early church heavyweights, wrote letters to various churches in various parts of the known world back then. There was a church in a place called Corinth. He'd written a letter previously. This is called 2 Corinthians because it was a second letter that's now in the Bible that was written by Paul to the church in Corinth. The part of the, the, the letter that I'm going to drill into this morning was, was actually a rebuttal that Paul was writing to the church in Corinth because it came to his attention. He used to travel around to various churches. He was an apostle, which in uh, churchy terms, it's kind of like an entrepreneur. They would start churches, but they wouldn't stay to, to lead them. They would, they would train up a leader and hand it over and go and start other churches. But they had a sort of fatherly role you know, ongoing with these churches. So Paul, whilst he wasn't in Corinth, maintained this fatherly apostolic role with the church there. So he, he, he made sure he kept, you know, informed about what was happening there. And he would occasionally write letters to them to, to encourage them, maybe to kind of nudge them if they were getting a little bit off center, recalibrate them. Well, this is one of those parts of the letter, which was, was a bit of a recalibration letter. Because the church in Corinth at the time was, were being influenced by a group of people that were known as the super apostles. So Paul was an apostle, pretty flippin' good one. But there was this group going around that were calling themselves the super apostles who were trying to one-up Paul. And, and, and one of the things about the super apostles is they were presenting themselves as being perfect, as like God's crafting the diamond was already finished. Ta-da! And Paul wrote to them, to the church in Corinth, to say the super apostles aren't perfect. They're just airbrushed. And you need to understand that. They are parading around like Pinterest. And I'm telling you that I, Paul, live most of my life on Pinterest fail. And that's the reality. So let me pick up the letter that Paul wrote. With that kind of hope... To excite us, nothing holds us back. I asked the question last Sunday, Easter Sunday, how many of you like feeling hopeless? Well, surprise, surprise, nobody said yes. We hate feeling hopeless. Hopeless gets us stuck. Hopeless gets us depressed. When you've lost hope, you've pretty much lost everything. Conversely, when you have hope, you can be unstoppable. 
Nothing holds us back. Unlike Moses, we have nothing to hide. Now, I'm going to explain this story. So let's just read it first. I'll come back around and explain it. Unlike Moses, we have nothing to hide. Everything's out in the open with us, us meaning people who follow Jesus. He wore a veil so the children of Israel wouldn't notice that the glory was fading away. And they didn't notice. They didn't notice it then, and they don't notice it now. Don't notice that there's nothing left behind that veil. Here's what Paul was referring to. Moses used to meet with God. Back in in, in the early days, you go back in the really early part of the Bible, the second book, it's called Exodus. You read about Moses. Moses was like a rock star of his generation. He didn't start out that way, but he became a bit of a rock star of his generation. And one of the privileged things that Moses did was that he got to meet with God face to face. We can do that now, thankfully. And I'm going to come back to that. But at this time, you didn't get to meet with God. Someone had to be designated or called or appointed to meet with God on your behalf. And then they would come and tell you what God had told them, right? Well, that's what Moses would do. He'd go up a mountain, meet with God face to face, and then he would come back down and then he'd share the message that God had, had spoken to him with the people. Credibly, God, uh, Moses meeting God face to face, God's glory was so incredible it, 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 actually, it actually stuck on Moses' face. Moses' face started to radiate, like, you know, sunburn plus plus. So when he came down from the mountain, Moses' face was lit up. He had the glory of God on him. So much so that he actually put a veil when he spoke to the people. He actually put a veil over his face because otherwise they wouldn't have been able to look at him. Would have been too much. God's glory is too much. We underestimated these. It was too much. Wow. That's some serious glory. I didn't sell that at Bunnings. And uh, he put the veil on, but it wouldn't last forever. The, the glory would eventually fade from Moses' face. That's why you and I need to meet with God regularly. Okay? It's, it, we've got to access all areas past, but we need to keep going back for more. The, the glory would fade. But, but Moses, he had a veil on initially so that people wouldn't be, you know, they could, they, could, they could stand in front of him and not be overwhelmed by the glory. But he kept the veil on so that they wouldn't see that the glory eventually faded away. So he kept on pinning the face with the veil, but actually behind the veil over a period of time was Pinterest fail. And he wanted to see that. There's a problem with pretending. Pretending, it's a lot of work. You ever tried it? It's exhausting for you, the one doing the pretending. You're never even sure if anyone's buying it in the first place. But once you start, you almost can't stop. When new people come and stay here at Elevate, where I can, I like to get to them. And I like to, I like to ask two questions. First question I like to ask is, is why would you come? 
What, 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 was, what was the access point? You know, it's, it's, not, it's kind of market research, but it's not just pure market research. It's, I want to know, you know, what, what's God using to, 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 to get people in the front door? And most of the time, it's, you know, my, my friend, my family, my neighbor, whatever, in, invited me. Yeah, that's a lot of the time, true. Uh, we, we now run a paid advertising campaign on Google, Google AdWords. And uh, we're seeing various people come in through that. If you search churches in Perth on Google, the first result you'll see is Elevate Church. It's not a coincidence. We made it that way. Wow, it's a miracle. No, it's not. Because we want to increase our visibility. Of course, absolutely. It's, it's not either or. Well, sure, we have it, you know, in, get people here by inviting them or advertising on Google. Yes. Sometimes they just come because they drive by. You know, there's all various reasons. You know, I'm always interested. It's great. It's informative. Um, then I ask a second question. All right. What made you stay? Now, I want to know what's the Velcro. I want to know, yeah, sure, what's the access point, but I also want to know what's the Velcro. What's God using to cause you to stick? And here's what they don't say. At least not as their first answer. They don't say, the music was in- incredible, caused me to stay. Now, now, that often gets mentioned second, third, or fourth reason, but it's never the first. Almost never. They don't say the coffee. It was the coffee. You had me at coffee. Okay, now, again, that, that, that ranks high on the list, as it should. But it's never first. I might have a problem with that, but it's never first. Nor do people say, Mark, it's because you are so intelligent, funny, and a great dancer. They never say that first. It's often second. People like to emphasize the dancing part. And rightly so. White men can dance. That's what my biography is going to be called. You know what they say? You know the number one most consistent response I get from people who stay? When I ask them, why did you stay? They said, you guys just seem real. And I'm like, don't you mean perfect? (laughs) Of course I don't say that. You know when I hear that? It's like the greatest, greatest thing that they could say. Of all of the lists, the long, long list of great things people could say about Elevate Church. Long list. Say, so you guys just seem real. It's, it's the greatest thing. You like the sound of that? They're saying that about you. Or, or, or does that offend you? Real? I'd much rather go with perfect. Well, surrender the fantasy. Because you're not. You can go and find a church full of perfect people. I'll, 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 I'll give you a lift there on my Vespa. No problem. We'll go find one. They don't exist. I love that. Guys, you seem real. Okay. Paul kept going. Even today, when the proclamations of that old bankrupt government, meaning the, the way things used to be, the idea that we had to pretend to have it all together with God. When that old proclamations with that old bankrupt government are read out, they can't see through it. Only Christ can get rid of the veil so they can see for themselves that there's nothing there. 
See, what happens when you strip back the veil from people who are pretending to be perfect is you soon discover that they're just as messy as you. Right? But it's not our job to go ripping the veil off people's faces. If they want to live behind it, let them live behind it. But don't you live behind it. We're broken. We're dysfunctional. We're inadequate. But because of Jesus, and I'm going to come back to this, because of Jesus, we don't have to live behind a veil. Why? Because he loves us just as we are. He accepts us just as we are. That is great news. Now, you're not worthy. That's right. We're not worthy. But he sees us as worthy because that's why he died for us. That's why he died in our place so our sins could be forgiven. Not worthy in and of ourselves, but his worth is conferred on us. We're not perfect, but we're loved. We're not perfect, but we're accepted. It's brilliant. So we don't have to have a veil. It's fantastic. Because of Jesus, we can let go of the image management. Whilst it's not our job to to rip the veil off other people's faces, because we're people who understand the reality that, that we're not perfect, because we're people who understand the reality that Jesus gives us the permission to live without a veil in front of us, is there a place for us to help people who don't feel they can live without a veil? Is there something we can do? Is there something God would use us to do? Well, well, I think there is. It is not to go around pointing the finger at them and starting your conversations with the words, you should. All right? Husbands, don't try this at home. It's often better to Use the words, me too. Not just bragging about your strengths, but being vulnerable, uh, vulnerable about your struggles. That's being real. Yeah, I've got some strengths, and yeah, I've overcome some stuff, and I've also got some struggles. Me too. You? You? You're not perfect? <laughs> me too. It's one of the things that our Elevate groups are designed for, that you can live, do life together with people in the Me Too space, in a safe Me Too. You don't go broadcasting the Me Too to everyone. I'm not going to stand up here and just air my junk to all of you. But in my Elevate group, it's, it's all on the table. That's why we signed a confidentiality agreement. <laughs> it's true. Some people thought that was a joke, Pete. We do. We do. We want them to be a safe environment. What's said in an elevate group stays in an elevate group. It's fantastic. No veil. I love that. Some of you have experienced breakthrough in your life. And this idea of, of, of having a me too story to tell is one of the reasons God gave you the breakthrough. God hasn't just given you the breakthrough for you to break through. He has. But guess what? 
he's also given you some breakthroughs so you can actually say to some other people who are struggling and who haven't experienced their breakthrough yet, you know what? Me too. It's super encouraging. And, and actually, what's interesting is, is so, there's some people come into our worlds and we only meet them after the breakthrough. So we don't know the backstory. And then when you hear the backstory, it's like, wow. You know, we see the Pinterest board, but, 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 but often the Pinterest board came out of a lifetime of Pinterest fail. It's really good to hear the Pinterest fail stories. Like, oh, it's not just me. Whew. It's encouraging. I love, I love when de-churched people walk through those doors, right? People that for some reason in their past, whether it was several months ago or several years ago, for whatever reason, left their church. When they come in here and I hear that they've been de-churched, I love that. I love, and you know why I love that? Because I was de-churched before I started leading this church. I was de-churched for a year, Louis and I. We were de-churched for a year. And then the 1st of August, four years ago, I got back into a church. Only this time I was leading it. It's kind of weird. It's a crazy story. Who gave me that job? <laughs> I just unemployed, but unchurched or de-churched. Like, and now he's leading it? That doesn't make any sense. But yeah, but, yeah, but, but you know what? You've got a story, some of you that were de-churched. And when I hear your story, you know what? I tell you, guess what? Me too. Because some people think it's going to be a bit of a shame thing. Oh, well, you know, I used to go to a church. But, you know, they don't, don't want to tell the story. No, tell me the story. I also want to hear the story in case there's some, some lessons that we can learn. If some other churches, have, if they've made some mistakes, maybe we can learn from that. And, 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 and try not to repeat them here. But I'm not going to judge you. I can't wait to say me too. And then I tell them my story. I, I actually, yeah, hey, Louis and I sold up everything, bet the farm, moved to another state, took over a church there, bought a house, sunk our roots deep, no plan B, year later, fired, boom, blown out of the water. Yeah, yeah, beats your story any day. But no judgment, you're welcome. People are like, wow, wow, it's great. I mean, it's not great, but it's great. I'm like, yeah, me too. The church, me too. I got the scars. You got the scars. Let's have a scar measuring competition. I'll win, but it's okay. It's not a competition. I'm really passionate about helping people with their health. Ten years ago, I weighed 97 kilos and drank two bottles of wine a day. Yes, those two things are related. One bottle for each moob. I tell people that who only know me now, they're like, wow, yeah. I'm passionate about helping people. I don't care if you look good naked. That's not the goal. It's about health. It's about the fact that health is a gift from God. And by the way, it's not just when you lose hope that you've lost everything. When you lose health, you can have five million bucks in the bank. You lose your health. That five million bucks is, is, is worth nothing, right? Passionate about that. So I tell people the moves story. They love that. Scotty Wheeler, we, we met up for coffee a month ago. Scotty used to be in debt. In debt. Big capital D-E-T-T, debt. Doesn't sound right. Just kidding. Um, 
English language, stupid silent letters. Um, and he got out of debt. And, 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 and he's now positioning himself, putting himself through some, some actual courses and getting some, some actual formal training so that he can be used by God to help other people get out of debt. Well, he's debt free. So if you only meet him now and he says, no, 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 I'm debt free. It just doesn't help anybody. If you, if you don't know the backstory, the backstory is he wasn't debt free and he got debt free. And now he wants to help other people get debt free. Brilliant. No veil. Love it. Let me land this series, finishing what Paul was writing about. Let me just give you a little bit of the scene here. So this veil, this veil is not just something that Moses put on his face. Nor is it just a metaphor. It actually was a thing. Back in the old part of the Bible, God lived in a box. Okay, now God lives in us, but before Jesus came and died and sent his Holy Spirit to live in us, God actually lived in a box. Okay, if you've seen the Indiana Jones movies, you'll understand what I'm talking about. God lived in a box. And that box wasn't just kept in someone's boot of the car. It was kept in the temple, but it was kept in a very special part of the temple called the Holy of Holies, right? So it'd be like... It'd be like behind this wall was a, was, a, was a box. And God was living in that box. And, 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 and you couldn't go into the Holy of Holies, right? You, you couldn't approach God because you weren't holy. That was the deal, right? Now, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a wall back then. It was, it was a curtain. It was a veil that separated the people in the temple from God in the box was a veil. And the only person that was allowed to go behind the curtain was the priest of the temple, right? But actually, he wasn't holy either. He lived his life in Pinterest fail, just like everyone else. So what the priest would do is he would actually go into the Holy of Holies with an animal to sacrifice, to, to say, this, this animal, the blood of this animal, I'm going to sacrifice as an offering to God. And just in that sort of short window, having sacrificed the animal, the priest could approach God in the box, right? But it was actually a perilous mission because God didn't always accept the sacrifice. So the priest, they would tie a rope to his ankle and, and the rope would stay out there and, and the priest would go behind the curtain. And if he didn't come back out after a few minutes, they assumed he was dead, which he would be. And so, so they just reel him back out by y- yanking on the rope, right? There was not a lot of applicants for this job. <laughs> I feel called to full-time ministry. Yeah, all right. Let me tell you one of the things that's going to be required of you. It involves a rope. (laughs) When Jesus hung on the cross and breathed his last breaths, he 
was made the sacrifice for our sins. His blood on that cross was shed for us. And as his blood was shed in that very moment on the cross, the historians record that the veil in the temple was ripped down the middle. Gone. Done. No more did we have to rely on a priest and a rope to meet with God on our behalf because of Jesus. There is no veil anymore. We have a triple A pass to God that we didn't have before Jesus died and the veil was ripped in two. How good is that? There's no more ropes required. When we meet with God, it's not, a, it's not a life or death situation on the line. It's all life. Death was defeated. How good is that? Oh, yes, I suppose. Got anything else? No, I don't. It's as good as it gets. So, these people knew that. This church, the people in Corinth, they knew that. And so Paul continued writing to them. They knew that. They knew that wasn't a metaphor. It, it, it was a thing. It's not a metaphor for us. It's a thing. It happened. Whenever, though, they turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil and there they are face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. You won't see any statues around here. Why? Because that's not where God lives anymore. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it, exclamation mark. All of us, exclamation mark. Nothing between us and God. Our faces shining with the brightness of his face. How good is that? Right? Well, one last thing that Paul wrote. But before I read that, I want to insert a caveat here. This is not permission. This is not an excuse For you to say to the people around you, wow, that's just the way I am. And God loves me and accepts me, so screw you. Right? Some people say that. I don't have to change. God loves me just like I am. Well, it's half of the story. It's one side of the coin. God loves you so much that he loves and accepts you unconditionally just how you are. That's great, hey? It's one side of the coin. I don't have to live behind the veil. My life is a walking Pinterest fail pinboard. Yeah, okay, it's good. It's one half of the story. It's one side of the coin. God loves you. God loves me. So much that he accepts me and he accepts you 
just how we are. And God loves you and God loves me so much that he's not content leaving us just how we are. He ain't done. If you're not dead, God's not done. Put that on a t-shirt. This is how it goes. Paul said, and so we are transfigured. That's a churchy word. You can look it up. You can use your Google machines for that. Like I do all the work for you. No, it doesn't work. Transfigured much like the Messiah. It's actually a pretty cool thing to figure out. But anyway, our lives, here's the deal. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives. No veil. And we become like him. Three things. Three insignificant, unremarkable, idle things. But what if there was something else all along? Something that no one saw. Some priceless beauty hidden inside. And in the hands of an artist, a true creator, that something was found. The unseen potential in these familiar things. A common object creating something uncommon. The brilliant possibility seen by the artist. The beautiful function hidden within all of us. The glory within. found that on Pinterest. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> uh, let me ask one more question and, and I'm done. Uh, it's a question we ask most weeks. I asked this question on Easter Sunday and three people said yes. Well, allegedly, I counted two, but three, 25. Uh, you, my question to you, my last question this morning is, have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you allowed him to enter your life as Paul promised he would? You don't have to have a veil between the two of you. You can actually have Jesus in your life. But you have to invite him in. And I want to give you that opportunity right now. If you've never actually invited him in, have actually said, Jesus, I want you living in me. I want you doing that transforming work in me. I want to have that relationship with you. If you've never done that, if you've never done that, if you've, never, if you've never made that decision, if you've never said, yes, Jesus, I want to put my trust in you, I want you in my life, then right now I'm going to give you that opportunity to say yes to him. And all I'm going to ask you to do is really quickly just lift your hand up nice and high. Product demonstration up the front. And when I see your hand, see your hand, 
put it down. And just what you're doing when you're lifting your hand is saying, Jesus, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm saying yes to you this morning. I want you in my heart. I want you in my life. When I see your hand, you can put it down. We're just going to quickly pray. So right now, let me just look around our auditorium. If you've never made that decision and you know you need to make that decision this morning, just put your hand up. I'll see your hand. You can put it down. We're going to pray real quickly. Don't want to miss anybody.